What do you see when you look at your city? What do you see when you look at your church? What do you see when you look at yourself? Do you see nothing but broken piles of junk and rubble? Because when God looks at you, he sees a future and a hope. The Bible tells the story of Nehemiah, a man whose heart broke when he saw the ruined walls of Jerusalem. But in that rubble, he also saw hope. He saw the tools to rebuild. It's time to see our city the way God sees it. It's time to see our churches the way God sees them. It's time to see ourselves the way God sees us. It's time to rebuild. Thank you, Lindsay and worship team, for leading us before the throne in worship. So good to see you all here today. Uh, Yeah, I'd encourage you to stay afterwards for the baptism. Uh, I have this habit, just being a pastor for many years, I always test the water of the baptism tank. It's because for many years I did baptisms in Minnesota in the middle of the winter inside, but still, uh, you know, it's really hard to get the water to any decent temperature there. But if you're getting baptized today, I've tested it. It's like warm bath water. You are, you're going to have a good experience with that. We are, as Lindsay prayed, we are now just turning to a different aspect of worship, worshiping through the Word. And if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to turn to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, we are still in chapter 1. We began last week. While you're turning to uh, Nehemiah, I just want to highlight something that was mentioned in the wire Wednesday nights, a, uh, a key informational meeting. If you would like to check out one of the discipleship uh, instruments or tools that's available here at Central Church. There's an informational meeting on harvesters at 6.30 p.m. You can come. No obligation to come to that meeting. You can learn what that uh, four-semester program is, is all about. I encourage you to consider that if you have not. We're going to read Nehemiah again, verses 1 through 11. Yes, we read this last week, but you know what? The Lord speaks through His Holy Spirit every time we open His Word, and there's more for us to see in chapter 1. So Nehemiah chapter 1, hear the word of the Lord spoken to Nehemiah and to us. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and in shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, Nehemiah records, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven, And I said, I prayed, here's his prayer, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. 
But if you return to me, if you repent and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them, God promises, and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants. They are your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to this, your servant today, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And then he adds a parenthetical, which will be important for next week. Now, I was a cupbearer to the king. You know, we introduced this series last week, and we're calling it A Time to Rebuild. And someone came up to me after one of the services last week and and asked a really good question. You know, her question was essentially this. You're talking about Nehemiah rebuilding Jerusalem, and you made some comments about rebuilding this church. But what about, and then she began to explain to me a little bit about a conflicted relationship that she was in. Does this apply to me? Absolutely. I'm so glad she asked that question. I have the opportunity to underline the importance of that right now. We are reading Nehemiah. We are studying God's Word here, not just for what he was saying to Jews living 2,400 years ago. We are reading it not just for what it says to our church. We're reading it for what it says to each of us. And when we talk about a time to rebuild, maybe you're here this morning and what needs to be rebuilt, what's most on your heart is rebuilding your family. Maybe in your immediate family or your your extended family, there's been such conflict that it's a wreckage. And you're here this morning and what's on your heart is how do I put this back together? How do I rebuild my family? Nehemiah, God speaking through Nehemiah, speaks to that situation. Or maybe you're here this morning and and your marriage has become conflicted. And and really for you, what's on your heart this morning is how do I rebuild a marriage? How How do I build it into something it's never, ever been before? But I see that God desires for it. Nehemiah, God through Nehemiah speaks to you and your marriage. It speaks about rebuilding broken friendships conflicts that you have with brothers and sisters in Christ. It speaks about rebuilding your broken personal life. Maybe you're here this morning and you've made some choices, turning away from the Lord at certain parts in your life, and now you're living in the consequences of that. Maybe it's just been unwise choices that you've made. And you're here this morning, and where your ache and where your hurt is, is how do I start over? How do I begin to rebuild? Or maybe you're here this morning, and and for you it's about rebuilding a relationship with God. You've never really had some kind of personal, peaceful relationship with God. And you may have been attending church for a long time, or this may be your first time in church, but, but you recognize you and God are very distant from each other. Nehemiah speaks to you about what it means to rebuild a relationship with God. And then finally, absolutely, it speaks to rebuilding our church. The truths of Nehemiah speak to where any church going through any kind of conflict comes to rebuild, and certainly to where Central Church is at this time in its history. So it speaks to us. Let let me just briefly jump back in a little bit to last week. If you missed last week, I'll catch up really quick on the context. Nehemiah is Jewish by birth, but he's probably been born in captivity 
the Babylonians captured and, uh, Jerusalem and Judah, and they deported. They, they, they marched into exile, most of the Jewish population. And they're, so this, this Jewish population, most of them, they're living far off from Jerusalem. And they've been there 70 years now, and Babylonian rule has switched to Persian rule. And here's Nehemiah. He was probably born in captivity, and he's risen up to a place of prominence. We'll see that next week, cupbearer to the king. And he's living, we're told, in Susa, the, the winter palace of the king of Persia. And it's there, in that comfort of that position, that he hears a report about the situation in Jerusalem, way far away. And what he hears is this, the Jews who escaped exile, who were living in Jerusalem, this is, this is previous groups who the Persian kings had allowed to go back to, to, uh, to Jerusalem, that verse 3, they were in great trouble and shame because the wall of Jerusalem is broken down. So Jews were living back in Jerusalem, and they were seeking to reinstitute the worship of the one true God. They'd rebuilt the temple, but the walls had still been knocked down. And they were surrounded by enemies who didn't want to see the one true God worshipped in Jerusalem. They didn't want to see God glorified again in that city. They didn't want to see the temple rebuilt or the walls rebuilt. So these people were living in fear. These people were very, very vulnerable. At any time, the enemies could coordinate and, and come in. And we'll see that threat later in Nehemiah. And they could wipe these people out and they could destroy the temple. And it's out of that, that that Nehemiah forms a vision to rebuild Jerusalem. We, we see that vision articulated perhaps most clearly in chapter 2, verse 17, where, where he's now in Jerusalem. We'll get there in a couple weeks. And he says to them, come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. What, what is it when, when we talk about the vision to rebuild? What, what do we mean by vision? I know that's a buzz word, word that's, that's out there, and there's different definitions floating around. Let me give you the definition of vision, my working definition for this series when we talk about a vision to rebuild. Vision is the picture of where God desires to lead us on the spiritual journey that He has us, us, us on. Let me say that again. Vision is the picture that we begin to see of where God desires to lead us on this spiritual journey He has us on. We are on a spiritual journey in this church. We may not have liked how we got to this place, but God has us on a journey, and He wants to lead us somewhere. Vision is the coming clarity of what that looks like. You're on in your personal life. You're on a journey in your marriage, your family, in, in relationships that may be conflicted. Yeah, you may have, have had some part in how it got to that place of, of, of conflict, but you know what? God has you on a journey now. God has us on a journey in our conflicted relationships. Vision is where we begin to see where does He want to lead us? What does that look like if we follow Him faithfully? So, so for Nehemiah, Vision is the picture of a Jerusalem rebuilt. And not just getting the walls up, as important as that was, Jerusalem restored is the place where, where people are drawn to see the one true God. People of all different nations, of people who, who don't know God, coming to see the one true Jehovah God. That's Nehemiah's vision. 
For you, maybe it's the vision is the picture of what your marriage would like, would look like if if not only if it's healed, but if it becomes more in line with God's purposes, something maybe you haven't even tasted yet in your marriage. Or maybe vision for you this morning is, is, is a picture of your family or your extended family at peace. Or, or maybe vision for you is a picture of, of re- relationships which have been broken for a long time, being reconciled, and, and you being brothers or sisters or brothers and sisters again. For this church, vision is the picture, I would say, that picture that we're not there yet, but it's that picture of God taking us to the place of being a united congregation, loving each other, and reaching out to the hurting, lost people all around us. What that looks like as that comes into increasing clarity is what vision to rebuild is all about. Well, where does that vision come from? How do we begin to discern? How did Nehemiah begin to discern how to rebuild Jerusalem? How do we begin to discern how to rebuild in our church or our marriage or our family or our relationships? Well, that's kind of the question that I posed last Sunday, and and, and we, we got into the first point last Sunday. Vision to rebuild comes from, or it begins in, humility and brokenness before God. That's the first thing the Word of God shows us. As soon as Nehemiah learns of the conditions in Jerusalem and the fear that the people were living under, verse 4, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. Nehemiah's heart was broken over what he heard in Jerusalem. You know, he'd been living at a distance from that. He not, maybe was not aware of what was going on, but as the details get to him of that's the condition in Jerusalem, he's crushed. His heart is broken. And when I think about rebuilding a church or rebuilding family or relationships or marriage, I, I think of what, what, what Tom Palmer, an evangelist, says. It begins in revival, and you will never meet God in revival, he says, until you meet Him first in brokenness. Revival cannot occur in our lives, in our marriages, in our church, unless we first meet God in brokenness. That's why we we prayed at at the conclusion of our time last week. We prayed the words of, of Bob Pierce, the founder of World Vision. Lord, let my heart be broken with the things that break your heart. Does it break your heart, the state of your marriage, if you're living in a conflicted marriage? Does it break your heart that you have broken relationships and those people are distant from you? Does it break our hearts about what has been the situation in the church? Those certainly break and grieve God's heart. And we will get no vision to rebuild until our hearts are first broken by the things that break and grieve God's heart. So vision begins, vision to rebuild begins with allowing God, we sang that a couple songs ago, allowing God to probe the places in our heart that need to be broken, the hard places in our heart that need to be broken. Secondly, how do we determine a vision to rebuild? Vision to rebuild comes from seeking God's purposes in His Word. Let me ask you in introducing this, why does it matter to God whether the walls of Jerusalem are rebuilt? Or, or to make it personal to you and me, why does it matter to God whether Central Church is unified and healthy? 
Why does it matter to God whether your marriage is strong or your family is healthy or your broken relationships are reconciled? Because God has purposes stated in His Word for Jerusalem, for the local church like Central Church, for your marriage, for your personal life, for your family, for your relationships. And Nehemiah knew God's purposes in His Word for for Jerusalem. Nehemiah knew that God wanted Jerusalem rebuilt because he had read and understand the Scriptures. You know, he, he was, we'll see in this next week with his position, he was this incredibly busy man. And yet somehow he worked into his life this regular habit of reading and studying and meditating upon and memorizing the Scriptures. He had read texts like Deuteronomy 12.5 where, where God said that of all the places among all the nations and all the tribes, Jerusalem is to be the place where my name will be honored, where my name will be worshipped. And how can I say that about Nehemiah, knowing that Scripture? That's what we see reflected in verse 9 of his prayer. He's praying, he's praying God's promise back to him. I, I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell. Nehemiah knew the purpose that God had for Jerusalem. Why would God care whether Jerusalem was rebuilt? Because that city with its temple was a type. It was a type that points us, followers of Jesus, to, to the heavenly Jerusalem the, the eternity that we will spend with Jesus if we know Him as Savior and Lord. The, the heavenly Jerusalem that we read about in Revelation where one day God will gather all those that He has redeemed in Jesus Christ and they are described by John in Revelation as a vast crowd among every nation and tribe and ethnic and language group. They will all be standing before God's throne and before the Lamb, our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, so God wanted to restore Jerusalem at that time, not just because He cared about that city, but because of His eternal purposes of salvation that He's working out even now in our lives that will be culminated when Jesus returns again. So again, let me bring this home to us. If we seek to rebuild this church, we must and we will study what are God's purposes for a local church as we await the return of Jesus Christ. If we don't know those purposes, how can we even begin to, to understand how He wants us to rebuild? As you seek to rebuild your marriage or your family or your relationships, you must study what God says in His Word about His purposes for your marriage, your family, your relationships. And by the way, if you don't even know where to begin, if you're in the midst of something maritally or in your family or in, or in some kind of other conflicted relationships and you don't even know where to turn to begin to study that, that's where I was at one point. Find somebody who, who knows the Word. Maybe it's a connect group leader. Maybe it's somebody in a small group or, or some other person that you have exposure to. And you can see that he or she is a man or woman of the Word. And go to them humbly. That's what I have done. And say, I need to know what God says about my marriage and what marriage is supposed to be. Will you help me study it? Will you meet with me and help me study it? Pursue the help that you need so you can grow and learn the purposes of God for these relationships. Third, vision to rebuild comes from seeking God's heart for the brokenness of people around us. This is really where Nehemiah's heart was crushed 
he had this really cushy life. We'll see this next week. He has this very important position. He lives in the palace. He lacked nothing. He probably ate the best food. He probably was as comfortable as a Jewish exile could be. He had political influence due to his position. And he was a long way from Jerusalem. Why should he care about what was happening to the people in Jerusalem? And yet he hears this report. In the midst of his comfort, this report comes to him that the remnant there, verse 3, is living in great trouble and shame like sheep without a shepherd. And you know, he hears that even in the midst of how comfortable he is, and it's like God grabs hold of his heart. He begins to feel the burden of these people. He begins to feel the burden of their distress and, to some degree, their, their lostness. That's God doing that work. That's God gripping his heart. That's God putting that burden for those people on his heart. And God uses that burden to move him to action. God uses that burden to help him form a vision for how is Jerusalem going to be rebuilt. This is one of the places, I believe, that Nehemiah points us to Christ. Nehemiah is not a Christ, not the Christ, but Nehemiah in some way points us. He's, a, he's like an Old Testament image that at times points us to, to Christ and His relationship with us because in Jesus we see God's heart of compassion and mercy for us. We were in darkness. We didn't even know we were lost, those of us who were saved. That, that's certainly my situation. I didn't even know how lost I was. We were engaged in all kinds of behavior that was running away from God, not running to God. He could have easily turned the other way, but instead He turned to us in mercy and compassion. That's, that's God's heart of mercy and compassion for us. That's what motivated him to send Jesus Christ. Matthew 9 reminds us of this heart of Jesus reflecting the heart of God, that as Jesus looked out over the crowds, and it could be the crowd today, or it could be the crowd in Collierville or in Memphis, he felt compassion for them, Matthew records, because they were distressed and downcast like a sheep without a shepherd. And it's that compassion that moved Jesus to die on the cross to free you and me if we put our faith in Him from the, from the curse and the power of sin. So, you and me, if we are serious about seeking God's vision for rebuilding this church, we'll begin to look outside this church. We'll begin to look around and see who are those who are, you know, using Matthew's language, distressed and downcast that God wants to use this church to reach out to people or reach out to. You realize that's part of the DNA of this church? You know, I've had the privilege of doing over 60 interviews so far in my three weeks here, met with all kinds of people. That, that's a theme that I hear is, is people look back and say, one of the things that drew me to Central was the fact that, that it did have a heart for the distressed. It did have a heart for the hurting and the lost. And, and people describe ministries that were begun here, like love and action, ministries that were reaching out to people who nobody else would reach out to at that time. That's the lifeblood. That's the DNA of Central Church. And yet I wonder, as years have passed, if we've gotten comfortable and we've gotten distracted and that's kind of dimmed. It's still in our DNA, but it's not as pumping as much 
in the blood of this church anymore. You know, do you realize that uh, we have a mission field just on the other side of the parking lot? You know, every time I drive through there, come drive through the parking lot sometime at night. What do you see? You see all these neighbors of ours, a largely Indian community. There may be other nationalities who have come into work, I assume, at FedEx, and they live in the apartments right on the other side of our parking lot. And they play in our playgrounds, and they walk around our buildings. Do we see them? Do we see that they are distressed? Do we see them in their lostness? Are our hearts burdened for these people? That's what God wants to do, well beyond that community, but that's, that's so observable, it's like, how could you miss them? God wants to burden our hearts as He develops a vision for what it means to rebuild this church. He wants to burden our hearts to see the people that are lost and hurting and need Christ all around in our community and beyond. Well, finally, vision to rebuild. Vision to rebuild Jerusalem. Vision to rebuild a church. Vision to rebuild a marriage, a family, relationships, your personal life. Vision to rebuild comes from seeking God's clarity, God's direction, and God's timing through prayer. Again, let me pose a question. How how did Nehemiah develop his specific plan? We're going to see this next week as we open up chapter 2. He comes to the king at the beginning of chapter 2. He has a plan, man, and he knows what resources he needs, and he knows the timing that he needs to do this in, and he he knows the political influence that he needs. He brings a detailed plan to the king. Where did that come from? Well, that came from months of praying for God's clarity. God, what is it that you want me to do? What does that look like? It came for months of of, of praying for God's direction. Lord, how do you want me to go and present this to the king? And even timing, when am I supposed to go, Lord? Let me apply that to us. How will we discern as a church what changes need to be made in the way that we order ourselves and function as a church? Or you personally, how will you determine the steps that you need to take to begin to restore your marriage or strengthen your family or reconcile the broken relationships in your life? I'll tell you how Nehemiah did it. He began, we read, to fast and pray in verse 4. And and I want you to see this was no casual praying. He prayed for four months. Let let me detail that. If you look at verse 1 of chapter 1, he starts praying in the month of Chislev. That's November, December. In chapter chapter 2, verse 1, he finally acts on that prayer, goes to the king in the month of Nisan. That's March, April. Do the math. That's four months of sustained, regular, persistent prayer. God, give me clarity about what it is you want me to do. God, show me the way that you want to lead me in this. God, show me even the timing in which I'm to engage in this. And by the way, it was fasting and praying. Fasting is is a topic for another sermon at another time, but, but let me just, for the purposes of today, let me just say this. Fasting, I would define today as making whatever sacrifices in your life need to be made to create time for that regular, sustained, persistent prayer. For some people, like Nehemiah, it's, I'm going to give up meals, and I'm going to devote that time that I would normally be eating to pray. For some of us, it's, I need to get off social media, at least for part of my day, and devote that time to pray. 
or, or I need to turn off the TV earlier than I do, or I need to get up earlier in the morning, an hour earlier, which means I got to go to bed an hour earlier at night in order to be able to get up and pray. Fasting is making whatever sacrifices you need to make in order to, to be able to present that or to, to create that time for this kind of sustained, persistent, regular praying. I think Nehemiah's prayer is a model for us of how we are to pray for the vision to rebuild. And, and, and I, most of chapter 1 is his prayer, but I'll, I'll boil it down really simple for you. I believe you can, you can boil down the structure of Nehemiah's prayer to, to this phrase. He is worthy, and we are needy. He is worthy, God is worthy, and I am needy as I come before Him. We are needy as we come before Him. He is worthy, we are needy. That, I didn't make that up. That came from my prayer mentor, Daniel Henderson, who taught me to see how, as you look at prayers throughout Scripture, time and time again, that's the basic pattern. He is worthy, we is needy. Let me show you what I mean by that. First, he starts with the he is worthy. Look at verse 5. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, he is worthy. He begins by reflecting on the majesty, the greatness of God. Because when we start there reflecting on the majesty, the greatness, the worthiness of God, what does it do? It gives us perspective on everything else. It gives us perspective on other people that we're dealing with. It gives us perspective on what we're struggling with. When we order our fo- when we set our focus, first of all, upon God's majesty, God's greatness, God's worthiness. In this, he, he praises God as the God who keeps covenant there in verse 5. What, what is he saying? God is a God who makes promises in His Word, and He keeps those promises. You can rely on God because He is a covenant-keeping God. And so the more we know those promises, His purposes, the more we can turn to Him and we can pray according to His purposes, according to His promises. That's essentially what Nehemiah is doing here. He's asking God, he's calling on God to do what God has already said in His Word that He has promised to do. He is worthy, he begins. And then we are needy. We are needy as we come before you and respond to your worthiness, Lord God. Look at verse 6. I now pray, confessing the sins which we have sinned against you. And here's, here's this is just my speculation. I, I don't think this is probably a picture of his very first prayer in these four months. I think it was over the months of coming again and again to his knees and praying to God and, and really surrendering his heart, allowing God to do a searching of his heart that that Nehemiah began to see, you know, I've been removed from this and I felt distant from this, but I am responsible in some way for this. You know, it's that, it's that image of Jesus that in every conflict, all parties have, have logs in their eyes, that all of us bring sin of some measure into the conflicts that we are embroiled into. And so during his months of prayer, these four months of persistent praying, I think what what, what God did, what God showed Nehemiah, he came to realize that the problems in Jerusalem were not organizational problems, although better organization was needed, and he brought that, as we'll see. The problems in Jerusalem were not the lack of resources, 
although they needed more resources and God used Nehemiah to bring more resources, I believe that what God showed Nehemiah as he persisted in prayer is the root problem of all that was happening in Jerusalem was sin. It was people like him, like me, like you, following our own purposes, our own agenda, instead of God's purposes and God's agenda. That's the definition, that's my working definition of sin. When I turn away from God's purposes and God's agenda because I want to follow my purposes and my agenda for my life. That's the root problem, brothers and sisters, of of what we struggle with in our personal lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our church, and even our nation, and even our world. We've forgotten the purposes of God for, for all those categories. We live according to our agenda rather than God's agenda. So Nehemiah, as he prays here, he teaches me, he teaches us to to first examine our own hearts. And and that's what we see. I have sinned, Nehemiah says. Somehow during all those months of praying, God showed him ways that he contributed to the situation there. And then God shows him, but you're part of a system Nehemiah. Church is a family, like an emotional system, and and that's why God brings Nehemiah to the place where he can say, we have sinned. I and my fathers have sinned. He understands that he is connected in, in the body just like we are connected in the body. So there's none of this, they have sinned. There's none of this, he or she has sinned. It's I have sinned, and we have sinned. That's what God does as he humbles us and he breaks us and he brings us to this place. But he goes on, verse 8, but if you return to me, this is God's promise, if you return to me, returning, turning is is the image of of, I've confessed sin, I've acknowledged where I have turned away from God, and now I'm turning back. I've acknowledged where I'm going after my own agenda, and now I'm going back to my own agenda. We call it repentance. Repentance is living out our confession. We can confess all day, but if we have no intent, if we're not serious about turning from the direction we were going, turning from our agenda, our confession is empty. But if we turn, if we return to God's agenda, God's purposes, confession is life-giving. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7.10. Godly sorrow brings about repentance. That leads to salvation. That leads to, to fuller life. But, but, but uh, worldly sorrow, sorrow that's empty, that doesn't intend to repent, brings death. So Nehemiah's months of prayer leads him to convictions for how he would lead the people to return to living for God's purposes. And we'll see that as we get into the later chapters. As, as you, as you and I pray for this church, as, as we pray for your marriage, your family, whatever relationships are conflicted in, in your life, this is the place God wants us to bring us to, where we are corporately confessing, where we are corporately repenting, where we are taking ownership of our part in whatever conflict we're involved in, and we're recognizing we are all in this together. God has us on a journey in this together. And his vision is the picture of what it will look like as we faithfully follow him, and he takes us through that journey. Now, next week, we'll get into the specifics of what Nehemiah was asking for, God, 
uh, in his prayers. But, but I want to see this morning, I want us to see this morning just before we close that he started with he is worthy, and then he comes to, but we are needy, and now he ends with he is worthy again. How does he know that, that God is going to hear his prayer? How does he know that God will keep true to his promises? Look at verse 10. They are your servants and your people who you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. He prays confidently. He knows God will hear his prayers. Why? Because God is his redeeming God. God is worthy. God is worthy to save. And that's why he knows God will hear his prayer. And you know what? If you and I know Jesus as Savior and Lord, and we are seeking to walk in Him and ongoing repentance and confession, turning back to Him, we have the same promise. Galatians 3.13, God has redeemed us. Our, uh, oh, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Christ is our Redeemer. Christ is worthy to save. And Christ will do that redeeming, saving work in our lives because He is worthy. God has redeemed them by His great power and His strong hand. Jesus redeems us by what He has done at the cross for us. Jesus is worthy to save. And by the way, I, I, I can't even go any further this morning without laying out for you. If you're here this morning and and, and you are one of the people I described at the beginning where you, have, you come in here this morning and you feel this distance from God. You know who He is. You may even have some fear for Him of, of some kind, but, but, but He seems distant to you. He seems like a, a God that, that you don't know, that you can't get close to, and you don't know what it means to come to Him through, through the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who is worthy to save you. I invite you to come up afterwards. I will pray with you. I will talk with you. I will answer your questions, or I will put you with somebody who can. We don't want you to leave here today. If you are conflicted in your relationship with God, if you have not met Him through Jesus Christ, the Redeemer who is worthy to save. So here's the pattern for rebuilding, for rebuilding Jerusalem, for rebuilding Central Church, for rebuilding marriages and families and broken relationships. He is worthy. He is worthy, and we come to Him because we are needy. And I just want to give you a real practical application of this, of this kind of prayer for vision, this prayer and this pattern of learning to pray, He is worthy and we are needy, starting Wednesday night. Not this Wednesday night, but the following Wednesday night on August 16th. We're going to resume meals again. We're going to have family meals available and immediately following those family meals. If you're not serving elsewhere, we invite you to stay. We will gather around those tables. We will study prayers in Scripture that model this. He is worthy. We are needy. And we will pray for our church. We will begin what I'm calling 100 days of prayer for our church. Well, between August 16th and Thanksgiving, we will persistently and regularly pray for our church, pray for different areas of our church, pray for vision to rebuild, pray for God to humble and soften hearts, pray for God to unify, to convict of sin, to bring us together. If, by the way, if you're serving, you're, you're not excluded from this. I don't want to pull you out of where you're serving on Wednesday nights. We'll make well, what our outlines and other materials that we have in that, we'll make those available to you in other ways. But if you're not serving on Wednesday nights, we'd love to see you starting August 16th. Join us. 
trying to get as many people from all walks of life in this church together to pray for our church, a hundred days of prayer for the church, because he is worthy and we are needy. And I want to close us in prayer even now with that theme. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, you are worthy. You are worthy, your word says, to receive all glory and honor and power because you created all things and you sustain all things. And for those of us who know you through Jesus Christ, you have done the new work of creation in our hearts. You have reached into the darkness of our lostness and you have saved us, you have redeemed us, and you have brought us into the light of life in Jesus Christ. God, you are worthy for us to come before you because you are a covenant-keeping God. You are a God of steadfast love and great faithfulness. And we come to you. We come to you on behalf of our church. We come before you on behalf of our marriages, our families, our broken relationships, maybe our broken personal lives. Lord God, and we come to you acknowledging we are needy. We are needy, Lord God. We wouldn't be before you in your great worthiness if we couldn't acknowledge that we are not needy. Lord, we are like the Israelites. We are like the people of Jerusalem. We are like Nehemiah. We just have this natural tendency to want to set our own agenda, to want to live for our own purposes. And we acknowledge that sin, Lord. That's why Jesus died for us. So we come to you in our neediness, knowing we just keep getting led off that way. We, we turn to you in confession and repentance. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray in this way. Teach us to pray for vision to rebuild our personal lives, our relationships, our church. May we do this, Lord God, that you may form that heavenly Jerusalem and those we love from all walks of our life will be part of that great crowd around the throne and around the Lamb. And we pray it in his name. Amen.